Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll jump right on into Acts here. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you provide for us and sustain us. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for uh, all the things, all, the, all that you've given to us for life and godliness. And that comes through the deep, rich, personal knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And that's what we're going to get uh, in the book of Acts as he continues his work in the early church. And that extends on out to us here 2,000 years later in 2023. And so we thank you for giving us these things and recording these truths for us and your work in the world so that we don't have to wander around and, and wonder about what's going on. Uh, but you've clearly revealed the things that we need to know. And so we pray that you'd bless us in this knowledge and help us to understand all these things that you've freely given to us out of your grace and mercy. And we ask all this for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all, today we're jumping right in page 13. Uh, we're going to start in Acts here. We did a lot of introduction last week looking at how Luke, the gospel, ties together with the book of Acts. Um, they're meant to be one continuous work, and we'll, we'll see that today in the passage we're going to read. Uh, there's a quote at the very top of page 13 that introduces this section. And I think this is a really good, um, really good beginning point. This is from Ben Witherington's commentary on Acts. He says, if there's any dominant actor in the book of Acts, it is God in the person of the Holy Spirit who guides and directs the words and deeds, especially of the main protagonist in the narrative. In fact, the focus of both Luke and Acts is primarily theocentric, right, centered on God, and as a subset of that, also Christocentric, centered on Christ. We are talking about the mighty deeds of God performed on the stage of history by and through Jesus and his followers. That's a great summary statement. And the reason that I start there is you, you probably know this, but we get the title for this book, Acts, from a longer, older title, traditional title, The Acts of the Apostles. That's where it comes from. And it's, it's, it's really interesting, but, you know, uh, the, the apostles are actors in this book. But what Witherington says here is clearly the focus. He's trying to focus how God has worked out these things through all these different people and means. And so all throughout Acts, we're going to Jesus is still present. The Holy Spirit is still going to be present. Um, God at work in and among these people. And so I love Witherington's summary of that. That's what we're going to see happening as we, as we get into the, to the major narrative thread of the book. So with that in mind, we, we begin there in the prologue, uh, somewhat connected, well, it's very connected to Luke. And um, he picks up right where he leaves off in Luke in some sense. So Acts 1, 1 through 5, Luke says, Now as I wrote in the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So that, that's his introduction um, to this second part of his larger work. And in fact, in Luke, if you remember, uh, Luke 24 actually ends 
with just a snippet about the ascension. And we're going to turn and look at some parts at the end of 24 and 22 today. But Luke ends with this, and you don't have to turn there now, but let me just read it to you. Luke, uh, this is Luke 24, 50 through 53. It says, Now he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continual in the, in the temple blessing God. Right? So Luke probably gets to the end here and he realizes, like we talked about last week, oh, wait a minute, I'm out of paper. There's no way we're going to be able to get as far on over into this as we need to. So he gives this summary statement where he uh, takes Jesus to the ascension and has Jesus ascend into heaven and says that the disciples worshipped him and then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. When we pick up in Acts, uh, we pick up a little bit before the ascension. There's a few things that Luke wants to include about Jesus teaching the disciples, the apostles, and how that uh, prepares us for what's about to happen uh, in the first chapter of Acts here. So this, this introduction, he uh, makes it clear that he's you know, picking up where he left off, but also that we're going to take a couple of steps back and talk about some things that I only said in summary at the end of Luke. Uh, notice, first of all, in verse 1, he says, um, we talked about Theophilus and who he is all that last week, so we're going to get into the new stuff this week. He says, as I wrote in the first uh, narrative, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of um, debate back and forth on the best way to translate that. Uh, this translation that you have in your notes takes it very literally, all that Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, the Greek here, uh, it, it's possible, and most people take it this way, that this is a Greek idiom that, that it, ju it just means about all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up, right? So, um, and that makes some sense. In fact, if you have an old King James translation, they would often translate this idiom very literally in the Gospels, and you'll read all the time in the King James. Now, Jesus began to teach, right? And it just means he started teaching, right? Uh, uh, and it can be used in the past tense and whatnot. Uh, I tend to think, though, because you, Luke doesn't use that form a whole lot, that I think he means it a little more literally. Because the very first actor that we see in the book of Acts is... Jesus. And he continues to be present with the disciples. One of my favorite parts in Acts, and we'll talk about it when we get, get there, is over in chapter 16, way on out in the story, right? We're jumping way forward several years. Paul is on his second missionary journey. Is that second? Somewhere. One of the later missionary journeys. And they are uh, uh, preaching and teaching. And they're in Asia Minor, and they're about to go north up into Galatia and Bithynia. And it says in that text that the spirit of Jesus said, no, 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 you can't go there. You got to go the other way, right? And there, I love this phrase, the spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit in that sense is called the spirit of Jesus. Also, uh, even though Luke doesn't bring this up, if you remember in Jesus' great teaching on the Holy Spirit in the gospel of John, you know, the, the last chapters of his teaching in that book uh, before the crucifixion and so forth, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, chapters 14 through 16. And one of the things that he says about the Holy Spirit is he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to take my things and he's going to communicate them to you. So the Holy Spirit becomes the means by which Jesus is going to communicate to his church. And we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But, uh, but it seems to me that the idea that Luke has in his mind 
is that the teaching and the work of Jesus is continuing on into the book of Acts. Uh, and, and we'll say more about that as we go along. Uh, then he, you know, he touches on the, the ascension again until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit. See that? To the apostles he had chosen. And after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Um, just, just, um, just a note there. It's really interesting. Notice that's the third verse, second and third verse there. Uh, the very last verse of Acts, the very la last two verses of Acts focuses on Paul. And, and I want to read this to you. See if you hear anything that sounds familiar. This is Paul in Acts 28:30. He, he's in Rome. He's on house arrest. And it says, He lived there two whole years in his own, at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts begins with the kingdom and it's going to end with the kingdom. And a little bit later, I'm going to have a handout for you on the kingdom uh, because that is really, really important. And notice, that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples about here in this 40 days in between his resurrection and his ascension. And let me just say, um, also, as, as you think about that in the time frame, uh, if you remember, uh, Jesus is crucified during the, the uh, Passover celebration. And uh, if you remember, he's crucified on a Friday, and then that begins the great festival that's going to last for 70 days. He is raised on Sunday, which is the celebration of the first fruits. Right? Jesus is the first fruits of those who have, who have fallen asleep. He's the first of the resurrection. So he kind of fills out those feasts and festivals. And then uh, 50 days after Passover, you have the celebration of Pentecost. Uh, the, the festival of weeks, the festival of booths. And we'll see that in chapter two. And if you remember, that's when the Holy Spirit is going to be given. And so here in this 40 day period in between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, he is teaching the apostles. Right? And, and uh, notice, we don't have much on what he taught. I'll, we'll, we'll see that in just a second. Luke doesn't include much. And I just think, wow, why didn't he give us anything on that? And see, y'all got to be, right, I was raised in the country, Corinth, Mississippi, a little bit slow on the uptake, probably got processing disorders that were never diagnosed because I grew up in that area where, you know, if you can't pay attention, you probably should just need a good whip in or work a little harder, you know, that kind of thing. But if, if it hit me one day, well, the t what Jesus taught him in the 40 days is exactly what Peter and Paul are going to preach about in the book of Acts. Right. So that, that's what he taught him. And so we'll, we'll see that as we go on through here. Um, also, notice, notice he mentions the uh, Yes, yeah, right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there's always a refund if you're not, you know, fully. <laughs> uh, so here he, you know, he, he, uh, he also says that he, um, uh, after he suffered, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. Now in the handout, the, the, just the standalone handout that doesn't have the uh, hole punches in it, on, on these extra handouts, I quit putting holes in them because somebody said one time they put it in their notebook and they forget where they put it inside, you know. So it's meant to be put in your outside sleeve if you need to find it again. Um, in that, there's, there's two things. Uh, the top part, the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus and in his people. 
And then the second part, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a little while. The second part is the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. And so there I've just I've listed out the uh, specific references made about Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead. And one of the one of the another key passage that talks about this and it's mentioned several times in this list is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 6 or so. And there in 1 Corinthians Paul if you remember this Paul is making an argument about the resurrection because there are false teachers that have come into the church that say there's no such thing as resurrection. Uh, just like the Sadducees believed. And Paul makes the argument, well, listen, if, if there's no resurrection in general, then that means Jesus, ha Jesus hasn't been resurrected. And if Jesus hasn't been wrecked, you're still dead in your sins. You might as well pack up and go home because there ain't no hope for any of us if he's not been raised from the dead. Right. So uh, as he's making that argument at the beginning of chapter 15 there, he lists off some of the more significant um, appearances of Jesus after the resurrection of people who had seen him. And that's part of what's in this list here. Uh, if you just kind of go through it, and, I, and I'm not going to go through all of these, uh, but you see that Jesus first appears to probably Mary Magdalene, who as she comes to the tomb very early in the morning, John records this. Uh, Mark also mentions it. And if you remember, that's when he shows up and Mary thinks he's the gardener. And then she realizes it's him and she wants to cling to him. And he says, no, you can't hang on to me. Right. We've got more things to do. Um, then you have uh, he appears to some women who are returning from the tomb after having gone to it. In Matthew 28. Uh, after that, he appears to Cephas, Peter, somewhere Sunday afternoon. And he it, it's fairly clear that he does that. Jesus appears to Peter before he appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus later Sunday night. Because when the disciples on the Emmaus road, they get back to Jerusalem to tell them, hey, we saw Jesus on the road and he talked to us. They said, and he also appeared to Peter. So apparently they had found out through Jesus uh, that he had already appeared to Peter. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit later, even maybe next week. I'm not sure if we'll get to that, but, but that's fairly significant for a couple of different reasons. The fourth thing, he appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, then that night, Sunday night, he appears to the 11 apostles. Um, and then Thomas is not there. So he comes back and appears to them again when Thomas is there. Uh, and, and again, these are just the things that are mentioned. Apparently he's still teaching them uh, maybe in other occurrences. These are the only ones that we have recorded, right? Then uh, one of my favorites is um, uh, uh, the seven disciples, number seven. Wow, that, I didn't notice that lined up. Great, seven with seven disciples. Uh, fishing at the Sea of Galilee. This is in John. Uh, Peter and them have gone back to the fishing nets. They're in Galilee, right? Fishing and Jesus shows up on the bank, says, hey, y'all caught anything this morning? Like, no, yeah. well, throw out over on the left, right? And they catch this huge catch of fish. And then John says, wait a minute, I think that's Jesus. And Peter puts his clothes back on and jumps in the lake and swims over to him. You remember that? Great, great episode. Um, then he, he appears to the 11. Uh, and by the way, that, that seventh one is where he asked Peter, you know, the question is, do you love me? Remember that? He asked him three times, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then tend my sheep. Do you love me? Right. Uh, so there he's kind of commissioning Peter. And, and we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Um, great, great episode there. Then he appears to the 11. Uh, and that is the ascension. Um, 
he ascends back into heaven uh, on a mountain in Galilee. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, that is, I, I should have said, that is right before the ascension. This is where he gives them the great commission, right? Um, in Matthew 28, 16 through, through 18. Uh, at some point, he uh, appears to over 500 disciples at once. That's in 1 Corinthians. We don't know where that is. He, he, he appears to James, his half-brother, right? The, the guy who's grown up with him his whole life, who was not a believer, right? Not until after the resurrection. Y'all know I've said this a thousand times. I would love to be there that afternoon when the knock comes on the door and James opens up and there's Jesus, right? Brother, we got a few things we're going to have to talk about, right? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're going to see mention of, of Jesus' family in the book of Acts because apparently they all become believers after the resurrection. Uh, 11, then he appears uh, to the apostles during the 40 days. Uh, and then finally on the Mount of Olives near Bethany uh, at his ascension. So, so you can kind of see the ones, and these are all going to be significant for Acts. Uh, he's going to appear to Stephen in Acts 7 when, when Stephen sees the heavens opened up and Jesus uh, at the right hand of God. He's going to appear to Saul, Paul on the Damascus Road. And he appears other times to Paul as well. Paul mentions that in Galatians. And then finally, um, he appears to John on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation to give him the book of Revelation. But the, the ones that we're most uh, concerned with are those first 12 uh, of his actual physical appearances uh, after his resurrection and before his ascension. Because uh, as Luke says here, he, he appeared during those 40 days uh, physically, right, visibly, uh, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And that's going to be critical because in the book of Acts, uh, one of the big issues is, you know, people who give witness to the resurrected Jesus. And the idea here is, listen, all these people are still alive. You can go talk to these people who saw Jesus after the resurrection. And of course, the, the apostles are specifically set apart to be witnesses of the resurrection and preach the resurrection. But there were far more people that saw Jesus alive. I mean, the one I'm most fascinated with is where he appears to 500 disciples at one time. And Luke just mentioned, I mean, I'm sorry, Paul just mentions that offhand and doesn't give us any detail on it. I'd love to know what happened there, but that, you know, we don't know anything about it. That's the way the scriptures work. Uh, so here, uh, Luke is setting up all these major themes, the apostles, the Holy Spirit, uh, the proofs of his resurrection, the kingdom of God. He, he sets all that up to get us ready for what he's about to develop in, in these first several chapters here. And then finally, before he gets into the main narrative, verse 4, it says, Now while he was together with him, while Jesus was together with him, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that's where the action is going to, uh, pick up in a sense right there. Okay, so how is that going to happen? What's going to happen next? And that's what he's going to narrate for us in these next several verses here. Now, any questions, comments, observations on any of that? Yes. Is Jonah ever mentioned Not after the birth narratives, as far as I can tell, as far as I can remember. After, the, after his uh, appearances in the birth narratives in Matthew uh, and Luke... Uh, you know, he's mentioned in Mark, um, i trying to remember, I don't, I don't think he even shows up in John. I don't think John has anything about the birth narrative. But yeah, 
After those narratives, Joseph doesn't show up again. There's endless speculation over what happened, you know, more than likely. Now, now, now I'm wrong. He, he clearly is there when they flee to Egypt, right? And then, you know, then they return back uh, some years after that. But by the time you get to Jesus' ministry, he's not, you know, he's not mentioned again. And so there's speculation over whether he died or what exactly is going on with that, you know. Um, and we just don't have any information. We, we're not, you know, there's nothing specific that's told about that. No, so that's a great question. Anybody else? Any questions or well, comments on him? John tells him to take care of his. He tells John to take care of his mother. So undoubtedly he wasn't living at that. Time. Hey, yeah, yeah. Joseph was definitely not there by the crucifixion. Yeah, uh, and it, 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 and I'm thinking he he probably he probably had died somewhere in you know probably Jesus' teenage years, early twenties, probably something like that. You know. Um, and, and I say that because, you know, several times they refer to Jesus. Isn't that the carpenter from Nazareth? Right. Which means he probably would have been apprenticing with his father, you know, working with Joseph in those years. You know, and again, that's all I guess. It, nowhere does it specifically say those things. So, yeah, re really fascinating. We can talk to Joseph about that when we see him. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, man, fill in the story for us. Y'all, well, I, I was reading this morning in John and uh it just, it just hit me, particularly with some other things we're going to get to in Acts. In fact, something we're about to get to right here. You know, at the very end of John, in his gospel, he says, you know, uh, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? And then he says, you know, if, if we were tried to record everything he said and did, I guess not even all the books in the world would be able to contain it all. Right. And, and I love that because John is saying, even based on what I know, while I was there, and what I experienced, I've only given you just a snippet of it, just a snapshot, right? If you look at everything that's recorded about Jesus in the Gospels, a scholar did a study on this, and, and I think it's something like we only have like um, 30 days out of the earthly ministry of Jesus. You know, if you take all that and put it together, you know, and, you know, you, you think, well, we have the Sermon on the Mount, right? Well, he probably preached that four or five times, six times, seven times, eight. Who knows? But we only get that one episode of it, you know. And then you think all the days that he's out preaching in that, you know, roughly two and a half year period. And when you look at what we have in the Gospels, it's just it's just a, it's just a little sliver of it. Right. The most important things. Um, so, you know, the Lord in the scriptures has not given us everything that we want to know. He's only given us what we absolutely need. Right. There's still a lot more that can be known. And that's why we have all eternity to go to the great kingdom library and be able to read and find out and talk to all the people that we want to talk about. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, wild when you think about that. Anybody else? Questions or comments on that? All right. Uh, page 14 there. Um, I'm, I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about the baptism of the spirit a little bit later when it when it actually happens. Um, that's important. And, and what I do want to highlight it, Jesus ends there by saying, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from there. I'm going to wait till we get to chapter two to talk more about that. So the next part, Acts 1, 6 through 11, there at the bottom of page 14. This is where Jesus has gathered them together. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Now, now, stop right there for a minute. That is a significantly important question. 
I mean, that's a majorly important question. If you go back and you read through the whole Old Testament, right, and you understand where we've come from and where these things are leading, it's very clear that the promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then filled out in, uh, to King David that uh, you as one of Abraham's descendants one day, David, I'm going to raise up one of your descendants from you. He is going to sit on your throne and he is going to rule over Israel forever and ever. And also he's going to rule over all the nations with a rod of iron and there will be no end to his kingdom. Right. Daniel uh, sees this in chapter seven. One like the son of man comes to the ancient of days and he receives a kingdom from him that can't be crushed or stopped or slowed down in any way whatsoever. So there's this great expectation that um, Jesus, right? He is the Messiah. He is the son of David who is the king. That, that's what the term Messiah means. He is the anointed one. Uh, Messiah is just the transliteration of the Hebrew term Mashiach which means the anointed one. And, you know, as the king was anointed uh, to show that he was the king. So Jesus is the great anointed king. And so now Peter and the disciples are saying, OK, we get it. We, you know, we got the teaching. We got the death. We've had this resurrection. So surely now this is where the kingdom is going to come. Right. In power and glory, because they've been wrestling with this. If you, if you remember, even in Luke. Uh, Jesus was headed down to Jerusalem and they came to an area and that area rejected him. And uh, 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 John and his brother said, Lord, should we pray and call down fire on these people and burn them up? Right. And Jesus like, no, we're not doing that. Right. That's not what we're doing here. And so there's this whole time uh, there, these questions of the kingdom have come up as they went into Jerusalem. And as Jesus rides in on the donkey. Right. And they're all, all proclaiming Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right. And somebody who's standing by says, uh, blessed is the son of David, the king of Israel. Right. They are all in expectation that Jesus as the king is now going to establish the kingdom. And surely Death, burial, resurrection, now's the time for the kingdom to come, right? They have no clue what's happening. <laughs> no idea. So that's the big question. Is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And by the way, we, we know from both the Old Testament prophets and also the writings of Paul that uh, the kingdom is going to be restored. All right. So just keep that in mind as we read these next words. Because in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer that question at all. Verse 7. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the father has set by his own authority. Now, I want you to look at that very carefully, right? It is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority. Of all the things that God has communicated in scripture and all the questions that he's answered for us, hardly ever does he answer the question when? Right? Hardly ever. I get this question all the time. Stacy, do you think we're living in the end times? And I say, absolutely. But Peter said that started on the day of Pentecost. So we've been in the end times 2000 years, right? That's the beginning of the end times, right? Well, Stacy, when do you think the rapture is going to happen? And I'm like, well, look right here. It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Now, I can tell you this. We're 2,000 years closer to it than when Paul wrote those letter, words there, right? Um, everybody wants to know when. And Jesus says, 
clearly it's not for you to know, right? That's not for us. And I love it. He's saying this to the 11 apostles. There's some things that y'all don't get to know, right? It's a great question, but I'm not going to tell you. That's, that's not what's important. And look at what he says next. This is so good. Verse 8, but you will receive power, right? The, the, the disciples probably have it in their head that the kingdom is associated with the power and the glory of God. Jesus is now resurrected from the dead, and now we can show your power to everybody, right, Jesus? I mean, who, who can stop you now? You've defeated death itself. Let's get this thing going. And Jesus says, no, 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 listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. It's the last thing he says to them. (laughs) And then goes up in a cloud and they're standing there looking. Hang on to that, right? Looking up. Because again, well... Look at, look at what happens. I, I, I love this. This is, this is almost comedic, and we often miss it. Verses 10 and 11 says, Now while he was going, they were gazing into heaven. And the idea is they're just standing there lingering, right, gazing, looking up. Because I think probably what they're thinking is, well, is he going to get the angel armies and come back? I mean, you know, because they're just, you know, they're captivated. Well, what is happening now? And then two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. In other words, did y'all not hear what he just said? Why are y'all still standing here? Y'all got work to do, right? And if they had, and, and probably just, you know, an hour later, Peter's probably standing there thinking, wait a minute, what did he say? We're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and it probably hits him, well, I don't think we're going to get that done this afternoon. <laughs> we're not going to get that done next week. That's not going to happen next month. That's not going to happen next year, right? In other words, okay, it's probably going to be a while, right? And, and, and Jesus, so notice how he answers the question, and he doesn't answer the question. In other words, no, the kingdom is not coming now. And in fact, it's going to be a while. It's going to be after we've taken this message to the ends of the earth. And by the way, remember, they didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles, right? They're going to be walking and starting that work. So for them, it would have been, you know, a ways on out there. But that, but that question about the kingdom is critical. And one of the things that's going to happen in the book of Acts is as we see the early church develop, we're, we're going to see this theology of the kingdom start to develop. And we're going to see that word kingdom show up quite a bit. Paul uh, later in the missionary journeys, they're, they're undergoing some fairly severe persecution. And Paul encourages the disciples at that point by saying, listen, it's through many trials and tribulations that we will enter the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom is coming, but until then, we're going to have hard times, right? It's going to be a meantime in the meantime until the kingdom actually comes. Right. And so this kingdom idea is going to show up. Another really interesting thing in the book of Acts, and we're going to see this phrase several times, is that the, as, as, as the apostles go out, they're going to be preaching Jesus and his resurrection and the kingdom. Jesus and the kingdom. Jesus and the kingdom. What did we just read about Paul? Very last chapter. He was teaching everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the kingdom of God. Now, this is what I find really interesting about that. Not once 
do you find in the book of Acts? They were going out and preaching Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church, right? It's Jesus and the kingdom. Because the kingdom is the larger reality that's coming, right? The church, what God is doing right now in the present times, that's just the work that is anticipating and look forward to that great time, right? Uh, we have the mission of taking the word to the ends of the earth, right? That's what we're here to do, but that's not the kingdom, not yet. And so that, there's a tension in that that we're going to trace as we go through the book of Acts. And so this idea of the kingdom uh, becomes one of the anchor points uh, as we move on through uh, this book. Also notice he, he says that the Holy Spirit, as he comes on uh, the disciples, that he's going to, uh, that's in part, it's going to be his power coming upon them. And it's going to empower them to be Jesus' witnesses uh, in all those parts, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Really, really um, important. In fact, on your handout that I gave you, I'm just going to mention this. Uh, the handout that gave you the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus and in his people. You can, you can look at this uh, as we go through. This is uh, taken out of one of our Milk to Meat workbooks where we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in us and through us and to us and all the rest. And one of the really fascinating things that you see when you look at the big picture uh, of things is that there is a parallel between the way the Holy Spirit worked in Jesus' life and the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives, right? So Jesus was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Luke 1, we actually read that in Luke. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And because of that, the one born to you will be called the Son of God, right? He was, he was literally conceived through the Holy Spirit. We, we are reborn. Uh, we gain new birth through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 3, you, uh, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom unless you've been born from above, born again. What does that mean? Right? Well, Nicodemus, you've got to be born of water and the Holy Spirit, right? So very clearly, the Holy Spirit is part of our new birth. Jesus was baptized by the Holy Spirit at his baptism, right? The Holy Spirit descended upon him. Uh, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit comes upon us uh, as believers. Jesus was filled, um, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, we'll say Peter says something about that in one of his sermons. Really, really interesting what he says there. We too are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3.16. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us, we now collectively, as the church, as the people of God, we're the new temple of God because the Holy Spirit dwells within us individually and collectively. Right? Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. We're led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, as I said earlier in the whole book of Acts, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to be leading all the different people here to do things, to go preach, to go do this. He's going to be giving them commandments and, well, not commandments, but instructions right as they go. Uh, we too are led by the Holy Spirit. He, he leads us to understand that we're God's children, beloved children, right? Uh, Jesus was empowered for his work by the Holy Spirit. We too are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, in Romans, Paul makes the argument that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that resides within us so that we can live a whole new kind of life. I remember the day when I realized what that was saying and it terrified me, right? Because all of a sudden I don't have the excuse of, well, I'm just a sinner or, well, you know, I can't do that, right? 
if I've got the power, if you have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you that raised Jesus from the dead, there's no such thing as can't, right? If he can raise Jesus from the dead, I'm pretty sure whatever you're facing, he can empower you to do that thing, right? That, that, that's a terrifying idea when you really think about it. The most terrifying verse, I don't know if y'all ever thought about this, but y'all know what the most terrifying verse in the whole New Testament is, right? Romans. God is doing everything he possibly can to conform us to the image of Christ. If that doesn't terrify you, you have not heard that verse. Because what that verse means is your whole life is about God stripping out everything in you that doesn't look like Jesus so you can be filled with him. And this is, the, this is why it's terrifying. You and I in our sinful fallen nature, yet fully unredeemed, cling to that old self with everything we got. And, and he will do whatever is necessary to root that out of you. And his number one tool to do it is, anybody know? Same thing he used with Jesus. Suffering. Yes. Persecution. Pain. Hardship. Right? Ah, boy, howdy. And you think, why does anybody want to be a Christian? You know? I mean, if we really understood what the gospel is telling us, I think there will be a third as many people in churches today. Maybe half the things will be filled, right? I mean, come on, terrifying idea. But I'm going to tell you what, man, the, the payoffs are going to be out of this world. I guarantee it. So, yeah, so uh, Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. I didn't mean to go that far off and left field with that. Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. We're all anointed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was appointed to be the Son of God in power, right? Uh, power overall. We are appointed as sons of God, children of God through the Holy Spirit. So I, I've given you that because we're going to see some of that worked out in the book of Acts. Uh, we're we're going to see the Holy Spirit baptizing his people. We're going to see him empowering his people, calling his people, leading his people, all those things. And I just wanted to give you that chart so you can see some of those things. Yeah, Jack? Can you give us a differentiation uh, baptized by the Holy Spirit and anointed by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I, uh, I can let me talk about that when we get over to the coming of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. And, and, and if I forget it, remind me then, because that's one of the things that I, that I plan to talk about. Because uh, throughout Acts, we're going to see this uh, uh, repeated several times. Now, so-and-so was filled with the Holy Spirit to do this. So-and-so was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the way Luke uses it is even a little bit different from Paul and all. So hang on to that. And when we get over and start to look at that, uh, I've actually got a handout that I'm going to give on that, that that'll have some of that, because that is the that is the five hundred million dollar question. You know, I mean, it's a really important question because uh, today there's a lot of groups within Christianity that define all those terms in very different ways, you know, and particularly when you get into Pentecostal groups, they believe in multiple baptisms of the Holy Spirit and a secondary baptism. And so I'm going to talk about some of that because that's really relevant to what happens in Acts. That's an excellent question, Jack, and I am going to cover it. Um, and we'll probably get to that next week, actually, because we should be uh, in Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, great, great question. Yeah, Judy. Yes. Yeah. These are just the main ways that we connect with Jesus. But, you know, there's a whole other host of things that the Holy Spirit does that, that aren't on this list. Sealing would be a big one. You know, he seals us for the day of redemption, protecting us, watching over us, make sure that we get to that day. Right. Uh, empowering us for perseverance. Right. Uh, we are our, our faith is kept through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So, you know, that, and that's really important. I mean, that's a big one. Yeah. So those seven things there, that's just a few of the things he does. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll, we'll uh, and again, we'll, we'll see some of these things worked out as we go through um, Acts. And as Jack was just asking the question about when we get over to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit, I've got another handout on that that I'm going to talk about because, you know, there is there's some confusion on that, especially in our day uh, with some of the things that are taught. All right. Anybody else? Any questions or comments on any of that? Let me see. Let me make sure I said everything I wanted to say there. Oh, let me say one other thing. Notice that Jesus is taken up uh, in a cloud there. He's taken up in a cloud, took him out of their sight. Um, a cloud also appeared in the transfiguration. If you remember that, when, he's, when Moses and Elijah shows up and Jesus is transformed uh, and Peter, uh, Peter, uh, Peter, John and uh, uh, man, I can't get the words out of my Peter and Peter, James and John see him, you know, in his glory and uh, a cloud surrounds him. Uh, that is probably taken uh, at least in part from Daniel 7, where the Son of Man comes in clouds and great power and glory, right? Clouds often accompany God when he shows up or when he's doing something significant. And so um, that's the same way he's going to come and return. Would that also be the cloud that uh, the uh, yeah, yeah, somewhat. Yeah, yeah, there's, there, there's definitely a connection there. You know, it symbolizes the presence of God. Uh, in, in some cases, it, it symbolizes his protecting presence. In other times, uh, the clouds represent his uh, terrifying glory, you know, so like a thundercloud. You know, in the Psalms, he shows up in clouds. And Sinai. yeah, Sinai, you have to imagine like a storm, you know, lightning and earthquakes and all that. So, yeah, really, really interesting uh, the way that plays out. Uh, also, also, and you can just write this reference in 2 Kings 2, when uh, Elijah passes his power on to Elisha, if you remember that, uh, it comes upon Elisha, and some of the images are, are similar there in terms of the cloud and the passing on of power and so forth. And so here, it's very clear that uh, in this, you know, in these episodes that are about to happen with Jesus' ascension and then the coming of the Holy Spirit, that uh, Jesus is, is entrusting his power and ministry over to the apostles, right? They're going to take over where Jesus has left off in a sense. And we'll see that in chapter 2 when, when we get over there. Uh, bottom of page 15, um, you get the listing of the 11. They return to Jerusalem. So notice Acts 1, 12 through 26, there at the bottom of page 15. It says, now they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. Right? That Sabbath day journey is about three quarters of a mile, right? The Mount of Olives is right outside of Jerusalem, so not very far away. Um, verse 13, now when they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. So notice you get the 11 names here. Um, this list is very similar to what Luke had earlier, Luke 6, uh, 14 through 16. But in this list, John comes second. You see that as Peter and John. And really, Peter and John are going to be the two main actors in the early chapters of Acts. 
Peter and John are going to be in the temple preaching. They're going to be healing. They're going to be doing works. And so they are the two that are kind of singled out by Luke early on. So he puts uh, uh, John in second place here. Peter is always first in all the list of the apostles. He always shows up first. And we'll talk about why that is here, uh, here in just a second, in fact. Um, you know, and, and then we, got, we get the other really famous apostles, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew. I mean, when was the last time we talked about Bartholomew, right? You hear his name and you just think of all the great things he did, right? We have no idea what any of these guys did. Uh, why is what? Uh, I'm about to answer that. Yeah. Um, James, the son of Alphaeus, right? And of course, the second Judas that everybody always remembers, right? Judas, the son of James. How many times y'all think about him? You know, I mean, out of that list, Peter, John and uh, James are the ones that we uh, Philip a little bit are the ones that we know some things about. The rest of them, we have no idea for sure exactly what happens to him. And Luke doesn't even touch on in the book of Acts. Yeah. Uh, Tom, did you have a uh, question? Well, I didn't raise my, Harlan said I didn't raise my. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I, I heard. <laughs> what happened to Nathaniel? Uh, he is, Nathaniel is. Um, Was he not an apostle? Yeah, he is, but it's, he, he's, just, he's just going by a different name here. And I'm trying to remember which one he is. Is, is, is he Bartholomew? Is that no, Nathaniel? No, 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 no. Yeah. So, you know, listen, y'all y'all got a phone over there. Somebody y'all look that up. Now, if Google can't answer that question. Yeah. Uh, he just, uh, I'm pretty sure he just, he's going by a different name here, if, if I remember correctly. Even though these lists are roughly the same, the names do, are, are they do have different forms in some of them. You know, like, it, like it'll say Judas, the son of James, right? Uh, I think in another place he's called something else, you know. So, yeah, interesting on that. Why are there only eleven? Okay, think about it, right? We got we got eleven. One's missing. Yeah. Judas, the second one, he's already killed himself, right? After after he betrayed Jesus, yeah. That's that's actually a great question because that's the very next thing we're going to deal with. Yes. Google says Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same. Okay, that's yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> who thought we would have so much controversy over the name of the apostles today I, I didn't even think to go over that you know <laughs> yeah. you, you can see there's 11 of them and the question of why there's 11 is about to be answered in the very next verses here uh, verse 14 now look at this and don't miss this this is really important uh, all these were continually united in prayer along with the women including Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers so uh, you have the women, and we assume that the women are the same ones mentioned in the last part of uh, Luke, in Luke 23, 55, 24, 1. If you read chapter 24, you get several of the women listed out there. Mary, uh, not the mother of Jesus, but the other Mary. Uh, then there's a whole list of women in Luke 23, 55. And if you remember, Luke is the one... Uh, that mentions specifically that there were many women traveling around with Jesus and the women were the ones that were supporting Jesus and the other disciples out of their means. So they were f probably women from fairly well-to-do families that could act as patrons, you know, to Jesus and his uh, group. And by the way, most, most of the stuff that you prob uh, probably popularly heard about women in the first century is just simply not true. 
uh, women, particularly in Roman culture, exercise an incredible influence. And oftentimes, family businesses would be entrusted to the women to run them and oversee them. And, 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 and there's one reason for that. Men are too dumb to run things that are important. All they got is sex and money on their mind, like 24-7. And if, if, if you're going to get something going on, you got to have somebody that can think down to earth about things that really matter. Now, y'all know I'm telling y'all the truth. Don't sit out there like that is something new to y'all, right? Uh, do what? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Uh, and uh, and uh, e- even in Acts, we're going to run into some significant women. We're going to run into Lydia, who Lydia is there trading for her family, right? Overseeing the, the uh, uh, purple dye business. She's traveled miles and miles away from the house. So, you know, uh, th- th- this idea that women were treated like cattle in the first century, that's not true among the Romans, and it's definitely not true among the Jews either. There, there's just been a lot of false information that have been put forth about those kind of things. And we're going to see some of that come up in the book of Acts because several times women arise in significant situations here. And so we'll, 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 we'll talk about that. Luke, uh, one of the things that Luke is doing here, and, and let me remind you this, I have got a quote about this back on page, um, back on page seven in, in your, no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back on page seven, back on page seven, again, Ben Witherington uh, has this brief, well, it's, it, I've got a longer summary, but I want to focus on the end of it. Down at the bottom of page seven, the very bottom of the page, right before the chiastic pattern of Luke and Acts, which unfortunately, that should have been on the other page. Um, at the very bottom, the last bolded statement there, last bolded paragraph in that quote Ben Witherington says, one can say then that the gospel, right, the gospel of Luke, focuses on the vertical up and down the social scale, universalization of the gospel, right? And what he means by that is, in the gospel of Luke, we saw that Jesus was inclusive of everybody in his ministry, men, women, children, lepers, the sick, the infirm, the down and out, those who have no political clout, those who have no social clout, those who are on the fringes of society. Jesus welcomes everybody in without any sense of social structure, right? Even tax collectors, and the Lord have mercy. Who would have thought? IRS agents making it into the kingdom, right? We're we're, we're pretty sure they're in league with the devil himself. Jesus welcomes them in, right? all the way down to the lepers and the sick and the infirm, right? So, so the gospel, right, Jesus offers uh, his hope to everybody, and, and he normalizes that, right? And we see that continued on in the book of Acts. But then Acts also focuses on the horizontal uh, universalization to all peoples throughout the empire. In, in Luke, the gospel, that, that uh, inclusiveness is centered largely to Israel, Right. But now in the book of Acts, it's going to spread out to everybody. And you're going to have Ethiopian eunuchs and Romans and people from Asia Minor and barbarians and slave people. free. Right. So now it's going to spread out to all parts of the earth and really, really powerful as we see that played out. And in fact, um, this this spreading of the gospel is going to be one of the major controversies in the book of Acts. Uh, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles that are coming in, the slaves and the barbarians and the, you know, uh, all these different names that we're going to get. So we're, we're going to come back to that as we go, as we go on through the book, because that's going to be one of the major questions, one of the major issues that's, that's showing up. 
Now, uh, let, let me just close out with this. On, on page 16, I'm not, I'm not going to go fully into this, but I just want to introduce Peter here for a second. Acts 1, 15. Now that we've read a little bit of the introduction of the book, if you look at Acts 1, 15, it says, During these days, Peter stood up among the brothers. So here, Peter is reintroduced in Acts. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn over to, I, I want to read something out of Luke 22 with you. Something that's going to be significant for what we're going to get into kind of to close out this week and then what we're going to get into next week. Uh, Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to start in verse 28 to see a couple of things here. This sets the stage for what's about to happen. Luke chapter 22, verse 28. Now, this is, this is in the context of Jesus the night he is going to be betrayed and crucified the next day on Friday. This is in the context of what we call the Lord's Supper. It's during the Passover celebration. Jesus has reinterpreted the Passover to be about him, right? To illuminate how that points to him. And <laughs> verses 24 through 27, the disciples get in a fight over which one of them is the greatest, right? <laughs> In this context. And so um, Jesus rebukes him and he says, listen, this is not the way things are going to be with y'all. Uh, instead, whoever is the greatest among you will be the youngest and the leader will be the one who serves. Right. Who is greatest in the kingdom? The one who serves the most. Right. That's what makes you great in the kingdom. But then he says this in verse 28. By the way, we're, we're going to come back to all those ideas. Verse 28, he says to the, to the 12 who are here, Judas hasn't left yet when he says this. Verse 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I think Luke is the only one that includes that detail. You see that? So the apostles and Acts, they're going to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. But in the kingdom to come, they're going to be judges <laughs> ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that wild? Now think about that for a minute, right? That's pretty incredible, right? So what's about to happen in the book of Acts, and the reason I brought that up first is, they're about, uh, Peter is about to get up and say, hey, y'all, listen. The scriptures had to be fulfilled about Judas. We know that the scriptures already said he was going to betray us, but now we need somebody to take up his allotment. We need somebody to fill his role. And I think part of it is they've got to have somebody to fulfill his role as a judge over the 12 tribes of Israel, right? There has to be 12 of us. And that only happens for Judas it, because Judas is the betrayer. It doesn't happen when, when any of the other apostles are killed, right? Peter doesn't have to be replaced. John doesn't have to be replaced. Judas does because he has disqualified himself from being one of the judges over Israel. Right. And we'll talk about that next week because that's exactly what Peter's going to get into in Acts. But then I want you to see this. Verse 31. Immediately after that, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, plural. Satan has demanded to have y'all that he might sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you all that your faith may not fail. And so when you have turned again, 
you are to strengthen your brothers. Right now, look at what you, th- we talked about this in Luke. And I said, when we get to Acts, we'll talk about this again. Jesus is saying specifically to Peter, right? Y'all are all about to fail. The devil is going to sift y'all like wheat. But I've prayed for you that after you've turned again, you see that? You're going to fall. You're going to fail. But after you've turned again, Peter, you are to come and strengthen your brothers. All right. Here, Jesus is setting Peter apart to be the man who he said earlier. Right. You're you're Simon. But one day you're going to be Peter, Cephas, the rock. And on you, I'm going to build my church. Right. The foundation is going to start with you, Peter. And that's what we start to see here in Acts 115. Peter stands up and he starts to take his role as, you know, kind of kind of the leader of the early church, guiding them and directing them in the things that they need to do. And, and, and I, I, I love that for a lot of reasons. Y'all think about this. You know, I was thinking about this in these terms this week. Jesus comes as the king. Right. And in his death, burial and resurrection, he becomes the king, not just over Israel, but over all creation. Right. As, as Paul says in Romans one, I just mentioned it. He is now the son of God in power. All authority and power has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Everything. Right. All turned over to him. Now, think about this in secular terms. If you had a king and he had a group of followers and one of those followers denied him and betrayed him outright three times, cursed him. I don't know who that blankety blank guy is. What do you think an earthly king would do to that person? Cut his head off. What does Jesus do? He makes him his number one man to build his church on. That's what the kingdom of Jesus looks like. Right. He takes those who will rebel against him, who will turn against him at the drop of a hat. And remember, in this context, Peter says, Lord, I will go to death in prison for you. Jesus says, Peter, you're going to die on me three times before the rooster even crows. And and, and I love that that Luke includes just this little snippet that when Peter denies Jesus the third time, he looks in and Jesus is looking right at him. Right. I told you. Right. I told you. And and you got to think what in the world. Right. Peter, as we just saw, uh, Peter, after Jesus appeared to him. On the day he's resurrected, Peter's gone back to Galilee to the fishing nets. He's gone back to fishing. Well, yeah, right? He has no expectation that, well, you know, I, I know Jesus forgave me and all, but that's probably the end of that whole thing. And Jesus goes and gets him. Right? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then tend my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter does, right? He, he comes in, <laughs> the guy who's betrayed him and cursed Jesus to his face, early part of Acts, he becomes the one that the church is built on. And I love that because then in the middle of Acts, there's this other guy going to come on the scene. His name is Saul, and he's the number one persecutor of the church. And what does Jesus do that does to him? He should have incinerated him where he stood. But what does he do? Paul, come here, boy. I'm going to teach you now how much you're going to suffer for me. And I'm going to send you to the kings and to the Gentiles and even to the Jews themselves. And you're going to take my name even before the Roman Empire. Right. Who would take your number one adversary and turn him into your number one missionary? Jesus. 
That's his kingdom. That's the way he works, right? And that's why you and I can't get enough of hearing about him. That's why we love him more than anybody else. That's why we will give our lives for him because he's the kind of person that will give his life for us so that we can become the people that he needs for us to be, right? Now go out and find a man-made religion that will come up with something like that, Amen. right? Go out and find something that will make a story that is that crazy and insane, but makes perfect sense when you've experienced it, right? That's what the book of Acts is about. That's, this is how Jesus began to do the things and teach the things that he taught that are now going to continue on in the lives of these apostles and men and women that are going to have the world turns upside down. One of my favorite parts in Acts, Pete, uh, Paul and them are out preaching, going, and they get to a town and they say, oh Lord, here come these men that have turned the known world upside down, right? That's what it looks like when Jesus gets a hold of you. Right? And this is just the beginning of it right here. Oh, fascinating stuff. All right, y'all, we're way over time. Let me pray for us. I'll turn loose. If you've got any questions or comments, um, I'll be happy to talk with you afterwards, but we're a little bit over. Let me go ahead and let everybody get out of here and get back to work that needs to get going. We're actually finishing two minutes before we started. So, you know, we're doing pretty good according to that clock up there. I don't know how I've done that. I've never done that before. All right, y'all, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the ways that you bless us and provide for us and sustain us and guide us and direct us. And Lord, uh, above all things, it, it, it's so easy to get lost in some of the details, even in the scripture, and forget uh, the main issue that lies at the foundation of everything else that happens. And that is uh, you have loved us from the beginning. And it's because you've loved us that we're able to love you. And you call us to love you with everything that we are, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then on top of that, uh, our neighbors as ourselves. And on this hangs all the law and the prophets. And Father, we, we thank you that you've revealed these things to us. And we thank you that you've called us to yourself. Because the, this incredible work that you're doing is so far beyond our ability to comprehend. There's no way that we would have been part of it without the work of your spirit opening our eyes and our hearts to see and to comprehend these incredible truths uh, that to those who are still lost seem like utter foolishness and nonsense. So we thank you for calling us to yourself and giving us an inheritance in the kingdom that is yet to come in full power and glory but which we anticipate and look forward to day by day and pray constantly, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it's in his awesome and powerful name we pray. Amen.